Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Hey, this is Coach Freddie on the iHemp Revolution Roadshow. I'm in Murfreesboro, Tennessee this morning. I'm talking with Clint Palmer. Hello, Clint. Hey, Coach. Yeah, how you doing this morning? As good as I could be. I'm feeling great. Okay. Well, today I want to talk to you about uh, what you're doing at the university there with uh, industrial hemp. So last year you uh, planted uh, some seeds and did a lot of things. So tell us about what has transpired in the last year. So in the last year we have, uh, we've come a long way for the university. We've uh, enacted a couple bills uh, in our state legislature that have allowed us to work with uh, uncertified genetics up to 0.6% THC uh, dry weight and um, that's allowed us to bring in um, some high CBD cultivars but also bring in um, land race cultivars from across the globe. Um, to start looking at uh, cannabinoid content stability for breeding uh, purposes in the future. We're also doing lots of other work with uh, tissue culture. Um, we've defined what type of media works best um, for hemp, and we have callus growing at uh, alarming rates. Um, we also have been working on um, some bioassay work, working with terpenes and isolated cannabinoids. Um, the terpenes were isolated, it was isolated bioassay work as well, but we're going to be uh, using some hemp-derived terpenes, steam-distilled terpenes, um, in future bioassay work uh, here in the next couple months, and possibly even some of the plant-based food-grade um, ratioed terpenes to match uh, cannabis um, GC chromatograph of, of their terpenes. And so it should be interesting to see if there's any uh, anything new there as far as the difference between uh, bioassay work on hemp terpenes versus non-hemp derived but ratio matched terpenes to match cannabis varieties. So we'll be doing that work soon. Um, we've got lots of other uh, small scale research, preliminary research that we're doing. We're also doing some elicitor study uh, research where we're using basically uh, not, not PGRs or hormones but uh, trying to manipulate the plant pathway. Um, to produce um, either other cannabinoids or more cannabinoids, and that's in its first stages as well. But we've acquired some greenhouse space, um, uh, built out the greenhouse with uh, evaporative walls, uh, supplemental lighting, um, fans, the whole nine yards, and uh, used, used that for the past six months, and now we've moved on, and uh, we needed a, a basically a flowering maturation chamber, and so we've uh, built and installed uh, two five by seven uh, maturation chambers and also uh, aeroponic cloning. Um, so we've kind of been building ourselves up to a point where we can uh, be able to do lots of different types of hemp research and not just be kind of stuck in the field. Um, 
so that's what I'm doing this summer is uh, working on the agronomic side. Um, there hasn't been enough actual agronomic research done across the U.S. Um, there's some, but not anywhere near enough. You know, and the main things, nitrogen, planting density are probably the most asked questions. And in reality, the papers and the research that you can go to, are, there's it's not from here. It's from across the world. It's from up north in Canada. So the nitrogen and the planting density is going to be affected by the genetics of the variety and the environment. So what I'm going to do is do a nitrogen and planting density varietal trial with using one cultivar, Fedora 17, out at the MTSU farm. And that will be replicated again next year for a two-year study that should be publishable. Okay, great. Right now, uh, are you dealing mostly with uh, um, cultivars uh, for CBD, or are you doing some for fiber and herd? Everything. So I got <clears throat> currently right now in, <clears throat> in experiments we have Futura seventy five, Canda, Joey, CFX two, um, Fedora seventeen, Santhica uh, twenty seven, um, Pheromon. And uh, a couple, a couple of the land race, um, a Russian land race, um, which I would say it's probably going to be a grain cultivar. <clears throat> but yeah, m m mostly industrial varieties, uh, and just starting to get in some higher CBD varieties that we'll be able to start looking at. We just, we just got some in a couple months ago, and we've been starting. We just started a round of tissue culture work with those on the same media that we had designed for the rest of industrial hemp. And yeah, it's taken off and it's growing wonderfully. We've worked out all the sterilization techniques. So to do plant tissue culture, you take a small piece of a plant and you can turn it into a thousand pieces just by cutting it up. Um, <clears throat> then you put it on the media, but there's a, there's a big point right there in between media and little pieces. You have to sterilize it, which... There's a fine line between sterilizing and killing. Oh. So you want to sterilize <laughs> and remove any bacteria or fungi, but at the same time to do so, uh, it's it's usually strong enough that if it's left on for long enough and not cleaned off that it can actually kill the plant material. So you have to sterilize the plant material to keep it from having any bacteria or fungi. So when you put it in that closed Petri dish on media with sugars and salts and fertilizer and water, all the things that microbes need, is the same thing that tissue culture of plants need. So by doing by removing all the bacteria and the uh, fungi and placing it on there, it allows for the cells to multiply. And depending on upon the hormone that you've uh, introduced to it, it's uh, we grow for callus. So callus is undifferentiated stem cells, basically same thing. When you hear people talk about human stem cells, plant stem cells are the same thing. They're basically a cell that can be anything you need it to be. So whether it's going to be uh, a root, a stem, a leaf, any of those things come from undifferentiated stem cells. They're found at the meristem and at the root tip of a plant. Um, and so that's where you can ideally get your tissue culture from. And we can do tissue cultures of roots. We can do tissue cultures of leaves, stems, flowers, anything. So it's a it's a very it's it's pretty new uh, industry over the past like 15, 20 years people have started doing the tissue going to tissue culture more, <clears throat> and I believe in the future um, as far as kinetics and uh, cannabis and multiplication goes instead of having to do you know ten thousand hundred thousand clones 
I think there'll be people that will be investing into uh, tissue culture hoods and uh, tissue culture equipment to where they can take one plant and do a million tissue cultures and have that same plant multiplied a million times over just by doing this instead of having to sit and take singular cuttings and you're limited by the amount of cuttings you can take from each plant. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of the forefront of, of what's going on yeah, in, and, in and, the future. Yeah, and I feel extremely lucky. There's not a there's not a state university, uh, I believe, in the southeast. Kentucky is doing a lot, um, but they are a land-grant university. So that's the thing to keep in mind is if, if it's a land-grant university, they're getting federal funds in. They're also getting state funds in, and they're able to do a lot more with it. So if you have a state-ran and federal-funded land-grant university, which all states do because that money was given to them to help with uh, the agriculture in their state. So a lot of the states were given ag land and then used that to develop their their land-grant universities. So the land was granted to them from the federal government, and then they used that to set up the universities on I see. So it allows for them to, uh, they get they get a lot more funding. So a, a college like my college, MTSU, that doesn't get uh, federal funding is always going to be more open um, to working with something that might be considered federally illegal. Now, obviously, hemp under the Farm Bill is not, but there has been lots of state universities that are not willing to touch it, not willing to ask for any research money because they're afraid that they'll lose their federal money. So that's where okay. I'm really lucky here in Murfreesboro with MTSU in that it's a not a land-grant university, so um, it's easier to bring in private money to do research. If it's a land-grant university and you're bringing in private money, well, even though they haven't reached out for that money from the feds, they still think it's a high-risk situation for them, and they're oftentimes unwilling to do it. Now, our UT is our, uh, one of our, lang- our largest land-grant uh, university in the state, and they're slowly creeping their way towards it. It's taken a lot of education. It's taken um, uh, Cody Seals from MTSU Plant and Soil Science going to UT. And um, he had already been working with them for a couple years um, doing an insect ID program. And so when the opportunity came along after he graduated, he spoke to them about possibly looking into the entomology of hemp, which is the study of insects affecting it. And uh, he found an advisor that was willing to you know, throw some money at it. And uh, they've they've started, and um, hopefully, what what that's going to continue is get the ball rolling at that land grant university, saying, "Hey, why don't you just look a little north, and and you'll see that Kentucky's making a lot of money per acre, and you should be providing this type of research for your farmers." Because currently, Cody and I are the only people that have supplied the state with any research, um, and so. What I want to see is our land-grant universities, the ones that should be responsible for providing information for farmers. Our land-grant universities in all states are also the ones that are connected to your ag extension programs that they have in just about every county. There's an ag extension office for just about every state. Not each, not There's not a Pennsylvania office in Tennessee, but there's probably 30 ag offices in Pennsylvania. Um, <clears throat> so once you have those and they know about hemp, and they have research to show what they can do, then when a farmer comes in and says, hey, I heard that hemp's legal to grow and people are making good money per acre, they can say, yes, and here's information on how to do it. Ah. And that's what I want. I, I want. I want farmers to have easy access, because currently, right now, 
to get a hold of hemp research to find out how to grow it, you really have to go to a university and pull the or pay for these publications, these articles off the internet. And it's just, it's unfair, really. Um, you know, yeah. so that's a, one of the services I like to provide, you know, a free services. People reach out to me and they're wanting, hey, you know, how do I grow this for fiber? Well, here, I'll, you know, I have access to the research. Let me just give you access to the research. And so I give people access to research articles, and then they'll come, you know, send me an email. Hey, you know, I didn't understand this, this, this. And so we'll talk through it, and by the end of it, they they have a general idea of a kind of a direction to go to grow for fiber, for seed, for CBD, whatever it is, which mm-hmm. obviously CBD being as new as it is, uh, there's not a lot of information out about that, and uh, we're we're talking about maybe putting some plants out this summer and doing a small little uh, high CBD trial. Um, and also we're working with, I actually have to study today, we're working on, you know, one of the, it's not a, we could just shorten it up and consider it a four-letter word, pesticide, okay. and when it comes to hemp, because uh, I feel like the most people in hemp, you know, when you say pesticide, they turn their tail and run. Um, but in reality, the, about the only fields of hemp that don't need pesticide are going to be fiber fields. The grain fields are always going to be need to be low enough that a combine can come through. Well, depending on your state, here in Tennessee, we have a lot of rain and a lot of heat, and our weeds will outcompete just about anything next to it. Uh, there's My first year growing hemp, I grew more Johnson grass than I did hemp. Um, had I been able to come through there um, and spray that before it had gone to flower, of course, I could have killed that Johnson grass and had a beautiful stand of hemp. But without having the knowledge base to go through there and do that, which I have now gathered enough research that I feel comfortable where I could do that in on a, one of our university research plots, um, it's a failed crop, you know. And it can be a failed crop with 25% weeds, not 100 25, 20, 15, 10 even if it's the wrong, 5 if it's the wrong wheat. Um, so if you're wanting to combine a field, you really have to have herbicide as an option because at a 5, 6-foot plant is not going to outcompete our 10-foot, 12-foot Johnson grass. It's just not going to do it. We also have a lot of morning glory here in the state. Um, it's one of our endemic plants, so it's found here natively. It puts out a perfect size seed to match hemp seed and you will never clean it out never there's it's almost impossible to clean morning glory seed out of hemp seed so if you have morning glory in your field and you don't spray it again failed crop so you we really you know it's not something i want hey oh all the u10 farmers i need y'all to spray your field no that's not the case the case is you grow up your crop start your crop you should have proper cult- cultivation techniques in the beginning so you're not sitting on a huge seed bank. A seed bank is a, a word used to describe the amount of seeds that are laying dormant in your in your dirt. It's your bank of seeds. So if, if, if you turn your field and plant your hemp, and next thing you know you have Johnson grass out competing your hemp at a foot, two and a half foot tall, you need an option. And so that's one thing I'm working toward is i got a test this week. That's uh, it's actually, a, actually have my, currently have my, uh, pesticide applicator for agriculture. I have that license, but to do research on pesticide um, application, you have to have a separate 
pass a separate test. So this week I'm going to pass that separate test so we can start um, in greenhouse. Um, basically what we're going to be doing is we'll be bringing in Johnson grass, pigweed, hogweed, and also Roundup resistant uh, of those varieties. So we'll have six different varieties of weeds and then we'll take and uh, spray with pesticide and find their killing dose. And once we find their killing dose, we'll take that killing dose range, whether it's, you know, a gram or a milligram and a milliliter, whatever, and then we'll spray the hemp and see if we can, within that killing range for the Johnson grass pigweed hogweed, can we find a range that is still killing the weed but allows the hemp to grow. Uh-huh. It might only stun it for seven to ten days, and then the hemp continues. So hopefully, and then it, and then what would happen is if you're looking at that field of Johnson grass, the Johnson grass turns brown and dies. A week later, the hemp is low vivaciously green again and all of a sudden you have a field that's combinable so okay it's not it's not something you know in reaching out to the industry to try and find some of this research some of the people i sent emails to they were just like uh i really hate to answer that question yeah it's like as much as a healthy advocate as you can as, as you can be if people can't grow this crop and farm it with machinery it's it's dead in the water. Yeah, it's yeah. completely dead in the water. You're not going to go harvest even an acre by hand for seed. It just I've tried it. Doesn't make sense. Right, makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. So so once we get if once uh, I think once the we have pesticides herbicides in the group of uh, hemp ammo, um, and like I said, it's not something that you know is going to be on the list of things to do as a hemp farmer is spray your crop. This is a last ditch effort to save the money that you have invested and spraying a crop before it goes to flower is not anything to worry about it's going to be a six day seven day residual um this it's not being sprayed with roundup um there are safe chemicals yeah they're chemicals but they're safe chemicals that rain after one good rain they're gone and they go into the soil and they break down and convert into a form of fertilizer um a lot of pesticide gets a bad name because of Roundup Ready crops, and it's disgusting. They go out and spray the crop and harvest it. That is nasty. Um, this is completely different than that. We're spraying it at a very young age where there's going to be no residual. There's going to be no systemic absorption of the pesticide into the crop. It's only there to, as a as an immediate killer, and then it's gone. Okay. Great. So not necessarily dangerous. Uh, you know, obviously there's dangers to spraying anything, but uh, as far as the dangers of uh, the pesticides that could be used and, and the residual effect, um, it's, there's none. Okay. No, nothing to worry about. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so this year, um, you're going to be planting, planting some seeds. Uh, yep. This year, MTSU's got uh, about 35 total acres going in. Okay. Um, most of that's preliminary field research um, for, for grain production. Um, and so there should be, and we're working with a, a really good farmer here in the mid-state um, named Brandon Witt, who runs Beatty Farms. He's a large grain producer. They're a heavily diversified farm where they do, uh, they have a venue. They do strawberry picking. Um, they do a corn maze. We're going to offer a hemp maze this year. Wow. And so we've linked cool. up with a kind of a hometown guy. Um, I actually, the... His name is Brandon Whip, but like I said, it's Beatty Farms. He married into the Beatties. I actually grew up with the Beatties' son and spent time at their farm growing up. So this was like a 
uh, this makes me smile thinking about it because uh, yeah, yeah. talking to Mr. Beatty out there uh, last couple of times ago I visited, you know, he's super excited about adding, um, you know, another crop into his rotation that's going to be a value-added crop. And at the same time, it's a, a crop that he knows that should be around. And uh, so he's okay. excited about the general public being able to come and see it and visit and get educated on him. So. All right. Well, that's great. So any last comments uh, for uh, the IHEP Revolution audience? Just love on Coach Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> any chance you get. Okay. Well, I uh, want to And grow him some good vegetables so when he comes to visit, he has lots of tastings. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for letting me uh, camp out at your... Uh, uh, ranch here so to speak you're always welcome always uh, welcome well uh this is coach freddie with the ihamp revolution road show and uh, we'll be leaving t- uh, this morning and heading towards chattanooga Woo! see you in chattanooga <laughs>